So let's uh, kind of do a little bit of a, just a quick little background of where we were last week. Remember that Mordecai was uh, mourning, if you will. He was dressed in sackcloth, and uh, he was outside of the king's gate because of the edict had been given to all the empire of the Persians. And of course, Esther's kind of, what's going on, you know? Why, you know so she sent for him to be dressed again appropriately, not, not in sackcloth, not in mourning. And so um, Mordecai sent through one of the eunuchs a copy of, of this uh, decree uh, that had gone forth and had commanded it to be pretty much the annihilation of the of the Jewish people in the empire of the Persians. And at the end of the chapter, we saw where he he challenges Esther, and he told her, "Hey, don't think that just because you live in a king's palace that you're going to be able to escape any more than all the other Jews." You're also going to be um, killed once they discover you're a Jew. So he challenges her, well, you, if you keep silent, God's still going to deliver us from another place, someone else or some other way. Isn't that amazing? If we don't make a stand, if we don't take a decision... If we don't decide to move and do what's right as Christians, then God will bring someone else to do it. You lose all of the opportunity to be part of something great. And that's what I see here with, with Mordecai and Esther. You know, he says something and the whole book is usually wrapped around this one and you'll see it up on the screen here, and uh, the introduction of chapter 5. Maybe for such a time as this, it, it, he tells her, you've been brought into the kingdom. Maybe that's why the Lord raised you to the place where you're at. And then, of course, uh, she responds, and this is the last part of chapter 4, and very well known and popular, because this is kind of the the pinnacle, if you would, of, of the story. She says, hey, go uh, gather, uh, to, you know, to Mordecai, she says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, that's the capital, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat and drink for three days, um, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. There's no doubt that they're also praying. I mean, this is about fasting and praying. Then, notice what she says, then, this is a very important word, first she prays. Instead of charging into the king's inner court, she goes to the king's inner court, that King Jesus, right? Before we do anything, when we're faced with a tough decision or in a crisis, whenever we're challenged with something, the first thing we should do is pray. Before we do anything. And she does that. And she says, um, I and my young uh, 
women will also fast as you do. Then, after I fast, after I pray, after we go to the Lord and bring this and lay it at the feet of the king, our king, not uh, Xerxes, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I, I just love that. If I perish, I perish. And, and what she's saying is, come what may come. She doesn't know what the results are going to be of her charging into the inner court of the king, which was illegal uh, and, not, and was forbidden, and uh, the, the penalty was death. This is obviously her husband, but there's still a protocol. She doesn't know if he's going to receive her. He, she even mentions, I haven't seen him for 30 days. You know, it's one of those, honey, I'm going fishing. I'll see you later. You know, he's gone. And he didn't see her. So if I perish, I perish. Regardless of the consequences, I'm going to at least make an effort to do what's right. So that's, that's beautiful, don't you think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I don't know what the results are going to be. And the consequences, uh, well, I'm taking a huge risk because it could mean death to me. And death to her means death to all the Jews also. Amen? But if he lifts the scepter, the golden scepter, in approval and receives her, right? Then that means life also for all of the Jews in Persia. The golden scepter is important in this story. It is the sign, if you would, of authority. The king, if he doesn't lift it, Esther will be escorted out of the inner court, never to be seen again, just like Vasti. So, regardless of the consequences, she says, if I perish, I perish. She takes this bold attitude and realizes that that's her mission. Somewhere in our walk, somewhere in this journey of faith and the call that we've accepted from the Lord, somewhere in there, we, got, we, we have to be courageous and bold. In spite of the risk. And she's determined to do the right thing, which is to save a nation no matter what the cost. There is a cost to discipleship. We know that, right? There is a cost to discipleship. We don't, we're not paying a cost to be disciples. You can't buy that. That's a gift. That's a privilege. When he calls you and you choose to take up your cross and follow him, there's nothing you can do to pay for that. That's been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus but once you make the decision to follow Jesus and be a disciple there's a cost you may lose family Jesus said what man haven't followed me losing homes and lands and and mother and father and family will not receive over there a hundredfold not just there but even here so chapter 5 Esther makes a decision She's going to do it. 
Do you know that the Christian walk is constantly, day by day, if not hour by hour, the kind of thing where we are always faced with decisions? We can't be a Christian and not make decisions in favor of what we know from the Lord's Word. What we know to be kingdom principles. You can't just walk around haphazardly and randomly and just think that, you know, it's just all one big, fun, happy time. No, there are decisions to be made, especially when we're facing evil, like Haman, horrible Haman. We face that every day in 21st century America as a church. You have to make decisions. Especially in the culture and in the trending ways of of the times that we're living in, Christianity and our beliefs are under attack. You can barely go anywhere or, or see anything that doesn't stand against what we believe. Am I right? Am I wrong? So, we made our decision to follow Christ. But guess what? We didn't just make it that day when we came at an altar call or we were in a small group Bible study and someone asked us if we wanted to receive Christ or maybe a friend shared the gospel with you. Uh, one-on-one, or you were in a big crusade. That's, not, that, that's the beginning of thousands of decisions we make for Christ. And, Mo- and Mordecai and Esther are God's instruments to promote His people's deliverance. He uses them. So here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Here we have Esther preparing a bank banquet. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to um, stop for a second and pray for the sermon. And then I'm going to just go verse by verse through this in chapter 5. So if you don't mind bowing your heads, just ask. That was an introduction, by the way, what I just did. It's a s- small one. Some of them are longer, I know. Forgive me. But we got to know, we have to know the context and able to draw from it the interpretation, don't we? I mean, we wouldn't want to take it out of context, would we? Father, bless our time in your word this morning. Thank you for everyone that's here. Give us strength and give us boldness. And at the same time, Lord, peace and joy in our hearts because we know we're right with you and you especially are right with us because the just shall live by faith. And that's what we want to do this morning. As we hear what you'd have to say through us through chapter 5 of Esther and through the lives and the history of these two in Persia so, so many years ago, but it matters. It applies. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what we're going to have here in chapter 5 is, and you can maybe if you like to take notes, I did kind of like an outline. This first part that we were going to read is Esther's intervention. She takes action. Remember, she makes a decision. She's going to do it. She's going to go into the king. She's going to make her petitions known. She realizes it's a risk. It could mean her life. She takes her life into her hands, right? 
But she makes a decision, and then every decision we take requires us to act on it. And in this case, it's an intervention. So here's what I learned from and what I believe God's telling us at this first part. That God uses committed people. Okay, there we go. That's our first little tidbit of, if you want to take down a fact. God uses committed people. Anybody hear, hear that? Do you think he knows who's not committed? <laughs> of course. God knows who's not committed. So God uses committed people to accomplish his will, to fulfill his designs. You know, God doesn't have uh, us just walking and living randomly. Each and every one of us has a purpose. And we have to walk hand in hand with him in that purpose. He's not going to force us, if you will, because there's this idea known as free will. There's this idea known as faith, where we must trust him and put our confidence in him as we act, as Abraham did, showing us the father of faith from the very beginning, that it's about Hearing his word and acting on it. Believing it, acting on it. And we act on it continually. So that's what I call the ABCs of faith. I don't know if I've told you this before. I probably have. Faith, the ABCs of faith, and I, and I tell you, I learned this when I was younger. A, the ABCs of faith, the Christian faith, is action based on belief, God's word, Supported by confidence. A, B, C. Action based on belief, supported by confidence. Why confidence? Because we keep doing it. We're confidently acting on what we believe. Not just a one-time event. So she acts on what she believes to be right for her people. She realizes that because of Mordecai, that she had been put there for this purpose, this, this moment, Right? Who knows that for this moment you've been brought into the kingdom, lifted up into that position, sitting next to the king. Who knows? Well, we know that, that was the reason that she was. So here we see that God uses committed people, not just in Persia uh, some many years ago, too many to count, but in the 21st century America. He, he uses committed people. People that make decisions. You, you know, your yes is yes and your no is no. That's what Paul said in Corinthians. That your nay, your yea be yea, your nay be nay. That's from the old King James Version when I learned it. Right? Are we that kind of people? We make decisions and, and then we intervene and we act. And God's looking for those kinds of people to accomplish his designs and his will. So I would think that this chapter and what Esther does would lead us, or at least help us to lean into the idea that we need to be pliable and usable in His gracious and sovereign hands. Are you pliable and usable? So God uses what? What kind of people? Committed people. Decisive people. People that act on His word. And those people need to be what? Pliable and usable. Uh, I love at work. 
If you are in public education, you know this one thing, and I'm going to talk to my dear sister Yolanda here, who is also works in public education. If you're not flexible, you're useless. So guess what my name is on campus? And I'm aging myself, but my name, because I've learned to be flexible, pliable, collaborative, cooperative, never violating my, my morals, my name is Gumby. Anybody know who Gumby is? Raise your hand. It's a funny green eraser-like guy. It looks like an eraser with feet, arms, and a head. It's a cartoon character. He's flexible. We've got to be that way in God's hands so he can use us. So he uses this beautiful queen as a, as a divine instrument in his hands to rescue his chosen people, Israel, from a horrible fate. That's what's going to happen to them. She takes her own life in her hands by making a decision, knowing the rules are what they are for entering into the presence of the king in the inner court uninvited and not knowing. So here's what she knows. She knows the rules. If she goes in not invited, hadn't seen him for 30 days, if you go in and he doesn't lift the scepter, she dies like anyone else that he doesn't lift the scepter for, authorizing them to be in his presence. Right? She dies. She, has, she knows that, but she doesn't know his mood. Because remember, this is a very moody guy. Probably something to do with the alcohol. Okay? That's for those of you that know or may have lived around someone under the influence. You never know how they're going to react. They could be happy, jovial, and yeehaw, life's a big party, or they could be violent and rude and crude and nasty. So she goes in and says here, verse 1, on the third day Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the king's palace. We're in chapter 5 of Esther. In front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. So first of all, what we see here is she dresses for the occasion. She dresses for success. What does she do? She puts on her royal robes. Right? Then she stood in the inner court, and I would have to believe she stood there quietly. Right? Waiting for what? Waiting for the reaction, the response. There's suspense here. Will she... Will he get a glimpse of me? Will, <laughs> will he get a... Uh, will, he s will he smell the fact that I'm wearing his favorite perfume? She's done everything she can to appeal to him, obviously. Right? You know, all that time that you guys have to wait for your wives or girlfriends or whatever... And they're doing their makeup and their hair and their who knows what else. That's all for you. Appreciate it. Right? 
And so that's what she does. We have to put a little flesh and blood on this. She's, she's waiting for the verdict. What's he going to do? How is he going to respond? So she enters there. Verse 2 says that when the king saw Queen Esther, so he did see her, recognized her, standing in the court, and then here's where we see the invisible hand of God. Because this is the response we have to have for this story to, to work out right. She won favor in his sight. What's winning favor? What's the word in Christian, uh, the Christian vocabulary? In Christianese, favor means grace. Right? She goes in as a mediator for Israel, for the Jews in, in, in Persia. And she wins favor in his sight. Grace. She goes into this throne room. Ever heard of the throne of grace? Where Jesus sits interceding on our behalf? There's a picture here of that. The picture here of what happens in heaven when we approach our Father, the King of the universe. Right? What do we find? Grace. And we have access to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4. Where we can ask or petition knowing that he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities at the opportune time. As I'm paraphrasing that particular section in Hebrews. It's a life and death situation. And what does she find? She finds that he held out the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. He held out the golden scepter. He, by doing so, she found grace. Isn't that beautiful? That, that's, that's the Lord. Right? Remember, it's just not Esther's life that hangs in the balance, waiting for the golden scepter to be lifted up in approval but it's all of the Jews in Persia's lives that weighed in the balance and what is found what is found grace grace makes all the difference it's what makes all the difference in our lives we have this gift this is what grace represents you are saved by grace through faith. Or by faith through grace. Either way works. Right? This is not of you, lest any man should boast. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. So then the question comes from the king, verse 3. And the king says to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you. Even... The half of my kingdom. <laughs> and you're talking about grace. He's offering half the kingdom just to see her. Just for noticing her. Do you see that? There's a big question. What is it? Um, what's your request? Do you know that we can go before the Lord 
with any and all of our questions or requests. You see me trying to line this up side by side to what it is to actually have a relationship with our king. And, and he's, he grants her half the kingdom. And, and I'm going to believe that it's not her glamour that opened the door to that room and to her requests. Not, not just her beauty, but I'm going to believe there was a special way. Remember I said she, she came in and just stood there quietly? I believe he saw humility. And that appealed to him. Who knows how and many people come into the king's presence and they come in in different ways. They come in with attitudes and they come in with, uh, you know, maybe shouting out what their petitions are. She comes in, she finds grace. The king asks her, hey, what's your petition? What do you want? Do we even know what we want? Do we, are we aware of our lives and our surroundings and our family members and, and our f- circle of influence and those that we have uh, uh, impact with? Uh, when we pray, are we, not, are we just praying for ourselves? Because in this case, it's inter- it's, she's interceding on behalf of a whole nation. Obviously, she gets to benefit if he lifts the scepter and then ultimately meets her request. Obviously, she's going to benefit too. But so will others. Are we aware of what's going on? Or is it all about us? You got it? <laughs> I think life is richer when you care, around, care about the people around you. Yeah. She, I believe, this is my, my interpretation, but I'm taking it from the way that I saw how she stood in the court, in the inner court. You don't hear that she says anything or does anything. She just stands there. Obviously, she's beautiful. We've got all that out of the way, but I believe it was also the inner beauty Humility. And I also believe that he saw something in her. Doesn't know she's a Jew, so can't really say that he knows she's coming there to petition for that particular request. But, hey, she's got enough boldness and confidence to come in here knowing she can't unless I invited her. But you know what? I love her. I believe he loved her. Man, and love will move what? The world. It'll make a, a monster into a cute little puppy. Yeah, I believe that's part of it. Humility. And he cared. I think he cared for her. And then he's probably, just me, I think too much probably. Probably remember thinking, man, I already got rid of one and that was lousy. I mean, uh, I was alone for so many years and uh, I'm not going to, come on in, <laughs> honey. Good to see you. It just worked. I don't know how. I'm just throwing stuff out there. I'm just saying it just worked. Why did it work? Because the hand of God was involved. That's why. And we got our part in this play on the stage of 
of history and, and our, our personal lives. You know, we are all, all, all the world's a stage, Shakespeare would say. And we're on it. But we got our part of things we do. But ultimately, who's the one who controls and moves the nations, not only the nations, but our individual lives? The Lord. If you don't believe that, you are living so far below your pay scale as a Christian. Man, there's so much he has to offer us. If we only were like bold and courageous. She goes in and uh, of course she's going to make her request known and she has uh, in verse 4 it says uh, if it please the king let the king and Haman notice she throws Haman's name in there come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king notice how she proceeds uh, quietly she's not just going to say hey I want you to save my people Israel she just isn't blurted out like you know, she's setting this thing up she, she's, she's cur- courageous but she's also wise Right? Sometimes, let me call it, let's call it tact. She has tact. She understands that she can't just blurt out what she really is there for initially, right from the start. So she's cautious, she's, she's calculating. Obviously, she's courageous, but she's wise and she has tact and she has wonderful social skills. Some of us need to work a little bit on those areas. You're just not allowed to just say what you want to say without a filter, without consideration for the whole picture and those who might be impacted by it, right? Yeah, we'll walk around with so much pride. I told them. <laughs> Ain't nobody got nothing on me. That fool. I told him. I even dissed his mama. That's how bad I am. Yeah. Um, one cool cat. Man. I love me. Yeah, but no one else does. Because your attitude. You know, whatever happened to common courtesy and Social tact, wisdom. In, re- in other words, relationships, I don't know if you know this, but it's a dance. You just can't come in and start stepping all over people's feet if you want something done. Smash, smash, smash. I'm not dancing with that monster anymore, big gorilla. <laughs> Didn't even know how to lead. None of this stuff is in my notes. This is all the Lord. She has tact and she's wise. There's, you know, I, I say this a lot and, you know, I'm in, I'm in a public, public school. I like to say government work. I'm in government work. You have to be really, really careful and wise it's not what you know all the time. It's who you know. It's not that you get to say anything you want. It's how you say it. 
if you want to work with people, if you want things to happen and things to be triggered, you've got to learn to have a little bit of collaboration. And he, She's wise with, with him. She knows him. And what does he invite him to? The thing he loves to do the best, and we learned it in chapter 1, is he loves banquets. He had one for six months earlier in this story, chapter 1. And so, you got, she also is a, a dealing and remembering that she's dealing with a ruthless, impulsive, short-tempered monarch. So she handles him with finesse. And so what does she ask for? This is what, a, what, a, what a beauty in this sense. She asked for a dinner date. And she got it. And that's so that she can win his confidence now that she has access to him again through this lifting of the scepter. She just doesn't blurt out her ultimate request right away. She wins the heart of the king. She gains his confidence. Because, and she asks Haman. That's the really other key part of this. Oh, by the way, bring in Haman. You know, your drinking buddy. He's known for that, and that's what we learn of him. He drinks with him. She uses all of that to ultimately expose in front of the king his what? His wickedness and his evil. So you see that playing in there, you guys? Then the king said, bring Haman quickly. Okay, well, and all of a sudden that's what's being done is what she is planning. Ultimately what the Lord is planning so Haman is brought in quickly. It says there, verse 5, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast Esther had prepared. So he joins uh, Xerxes in, you know, in, in the table, this king's table. There, there's Haman also, and that's what, uh, that's what Esther wanted. Just funny, because it mentions tables here, right? Haman is a feast that they had prepared talking about a table right where's the feast prepared on the table and then soon <laughs> the irony the table would be turned on them wouldn't it we know the rest of the story so verses 6 through 8 and they were drinking wine after the feast and the king said to Esther what is your wish it shall be granted to you what is your request even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled and uh, Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish, fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I had prepared for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So she really had in her mind not just that first initial banquet, but a second one. So... Seems pretty harmless, doesn't it? Come to a banquet. All right, we're there. Oh, hey, when are you going to tell me what your request is? That's what this was about. I'll tell you whenever at the, at the banquet. Oh, how about you come to the second one in the morning? We're going to have another, another get-together. And so the king's, who's following who here? Who's doing what? It's so subtle. See, God works 
in subtle ways we're not even aware of. And we're all worried because we got all our we got all our calculators out and we're figuring every step of the way what's going to happen potentially a high risk here probability there we we get all statistical on when it comes to following the lord so if i okay i'm going to have i'm going to do this okay and then that oh that, that might happen no we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff my favorite verse in the bible trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on to your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Why do we just bog ourselves down in trying to figure everything out? We just make good will faith acts the best we can do with what we have, where we're at. And trust God for the rest. So she makes her simple little harmless request hey come with me first to to this 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 little get together i'm going to have for you and then at that get together hey queen i'll give you half the kingdom well you know can you come to another one tomorrow morning and bring haman you see how that works haman verse nine went out that day joyful and glad of heart why because he got invited to a party where it was just him and the king and esther man i must be important what an honor <laughs> yeah you are important we really need you there and so he's happy joyful glad of heart is what it says in verse 9 haman saw mordecai no, it says, but Haman, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. So here's a man whose heart is joyful and glad, and then all of a sudden it's indignant. It's filled with wrath. See, he's at this banquet. He's got, man, I've got so much access. My life and my future look wonderful. When Philip calls me into his office, that's my principal, my boss. And, he, and he, he says to me, B.C., that's what he calls me, B.C., Bob Curry. It just goes like 23 years later. I've known him for 23 years when he was a teacher, and now he's the chief. When he walks me in there, I feel special. I'm like, woo-hoo, look at me in here. And then he gives me a big hug in front of the other administrators. Bam, he's a big guy. And I'm all like, all little in there. You know, I'm kind of leaving, I'm kind of like, man. Whoo, man, I, I got it made here. Why? Because the boss loves me. I can say that. You kind of get a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of confidence that you got these plans and he's got these plans, that is Mordecai. And um, then all of a sudden they're dashed by the fact that Mordecai won't recognize him. And then all of a sudden he's angry and filled with wrath. He wants to be revered and he wants to be uh, acknowledged. And every time he passes by Mordecai, Mordecai reminds him that he's nothing. And Haman hates that. It's the thorn in his flesh. It's what's going to bring him down. It's called a conundrum. Anybody heard of that? A conundrum? 
I like the word because it sounds like what it is. Very complicated. Can't get one guy to acknowledge him when the king's invited him to sit with him in a two, three-person three party. So he goes from the heights to the lows immediately with the presence of Mordecai. Yeah, poor, poor, uh, poor, miserable, horrible Haman, honored by the king, right? Has, has the queen of Persia uh, uh, there, but gets the disapproval of this one man that makes him feel worthless. Yeah, you know what? If you're looking for compensation or affirmation from the world, you will never get it. Yeah. When you realize that the only audience that matters in your life is His. It's the only one that matters. You try to please people or let people try to make you happy, you will not be. You'll find that it's an empty, vain effort. Always will come to the same result. Emptiness. So at this point, he's filled with wrath, but notice something interesting too. I also believe this is evidence of God's hand working. He, w he had to restrain himself and he just went home. What had, if he had lashed out that very moment, because he was full with wrath. He was ready to throw some chunks. Right? Give out a, a knuckle sandwich or two. He restrained himself and went home. I think this is God's hand moving in there. Instead of him, uh, instead of Haman letting out all his fury and, and, and all of this falling apart at the wrong time that would eventually maybe have defeated the plan of Esther, God restrains him. We never know when you're on the freeway and you have to sit there because traffic is all bogged down that God didn't deliver you from whatever else could have been up there had you gone free you don't know we got to stop complaining you don't know why God is allowing you to go through what you're going through when you're going through it and how you're going through it but to do all things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes of course and that means that we just kind of Go for a ride and trust them. That's what it means. So in this case, Haman restrains himself. I don't think knowing his character, knowing a little bit about him, his personality, I don't think it was really him restraining himself. I believe God's hand is not now. Hold back. He would not allow, that is, the hand of God wouldn't allow the fury of Hanum to take place until all the pieces were properly put in place and ultimately then he, that is, God would defeat his plan which was to destroy the Jews. So he sent and brought his friends and his wife, uh, Zerich. So he calls together his own little party at home. Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches and the number of his sons. All the promotions with wit the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. This is a guy's all about himself. You ever go to a place or you ever with someone where you're like, you're wanting to like just die because all they do is talk about themselves? 
(laughs) That happens all the time. To me, I don't know why. I'm I'm talking about they just go on and on and on and I and my I I did this with Bitcoin and 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 uh, I made fifty five thousand dollars in in a minute and and then and then you're looking at you know like oh, oh. and oh man you know the Oreo cookie I invented it I mean whatever you know knew a guy once in in the car business that claimed that he invented the the exhaust pipe for Harley's. You know, yeah, he was a car salesman that could barely sell a car. You know, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, you know what I'm saying? And here's Haman bragging, bragging. All he does is brag about himself. Talks about all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced above all the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared and tomorrow I'm invited by her together with the king yet all this worth uh, is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate what a miserable man then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him let a gallows 50 cubic high be made and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hang upon it the wife and his friends, they say, we're going to be your counselors. And it wasn't enough for him to punish Haman and his people through this genocide that he was planning. It wasn't enough that they would kill him on this gallow. They want, he wanted to make Haman, is that it, he asked for this to happen to Mordecai in public to humiliate him. It's like just grinding even further. He wanted to execute him in a humiliating way. And why would the gallow have to be 75 feet high? If the guy's five foot, you just need one that's six foot. I mean, why? It's to see this guy. It's all exaggerated. It's all just way beyond the scope of reality here as far as his reaction. Uh, here's what I think it is. We, we're, and then, then he, uh, the last part says, um, then go joyfully to the king, to the feast. This idea please Haman. And he, he had the gallows made. Why this going way beyond what's necessary, 75 foot high um, gallow, um, pub, do it publicly to humiliate him, See, we should never, ever, 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 have I said ever enough times, underestimate how destructive and how distorting the power of hatred is. Or any other fleshly desire mentioned by Paul in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, envies and jealousies and anger. In this case, hatred. Because what will happen is that you will be totally irrational. And it eventually, hatred eventually leads to violence so that he would want to hang Mordecai on a gallow ridiculously high. Right? And it's the same thing that happened with that crowd when they decided to crucify Jesus. The mob 
mentality. Just get one, it's a problem. Get a bunch and it's even worse. And I think what we see here that he truly is evil. That he was willing to destroy a whole nation because of his hatred for one man. How many innocent children would there be involved? How many innocent women? How many innocent boys, men, Jewish people would just be wiped off the face of the earth because Haman can't get Mordecai to bow down to him. Hatred is a horrible thing. We should never let it harbor in our hearts. But then we see the other side, right? The righteousness of Mordecai and Esther and how God uses them. How God works His will through them as instruments. That's what I want to be. How about you? Let's bow our heads. Father, we just thank you this morning for this story and we pray, Lord, that all of the truths and all of these gold nuggets that we're finding in here, Lord, that we would be able to apply them to our understanding and our walk and our lives. And we're just thankful, Lord, that that we are learning, Lord, that you are sovereign, you are in control. And yet, Lord... As powerful as you are, you're compassionate and graceful and merciful with us. Thank you for this relationship. Help us to grow. Help us to know you better each and every day. And the purpose of that, Lord, we pray, the the reasoning for all that, all that experience with you, all this knowledge with you, so that we would be faithful witnesses of the good news of the gospel to those that don't know you. And that your kingdom may be Uh, enlarge Lord uh, as you use us Father to reach those Lord that are lost those that don't know you we thank you we pray for this opportunity in Jesus name amen okay we're gonna have a couple of these guys are gonna help me with the offering chapter 6 next week guys take a read ahead of time this gets even better Amen. So let's pray for the offering right now. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Michael. We pray, Lord, for uh, our offering at this time. We just pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless the giver and also, Father, use it for your glory and honor here at Cross Point Community Church. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.